We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala. We seek blessings on the Prophet, peace be upon him. And we're going through Ma'arif al-Quran. And what tour are we doing today? Kafirun. Kafirun. Okay, very good. The floor is yours. All righty. So the writer begins by um, providing us with some background information regarding the characteristics of the surah. Um, and it was reported by Aisha uh, that the Prophet, peace be upon him, um, said that <clears throat> it's better to recite two surahs um, in the Sunnah prayer of Fajr. And the two surahs he mentioned were Surah Al-Kafirun and Surah Al-Ikhlas. Um, and when the Sahaba asked the Prophet, peace be upon him, for supplication to recite during um, like prayer, um, he said that reading the surah will actually give them immunity from idolatry. And so the Prophet, peace be upon him, was once asked um, by one of his companions, or the Prophet actually asked one of his companions if he wished to be um, among the happiest um, when he was going on a journey and the companion of course said yes and the prophet peace be upon him told him to recite the last five surahs of the quran and to start each surah with bismillah and to end with bismillah as well and the companion actually noted himself that he became like more prosperous and just stronger when he actually um, began this teaching of the prophet peace be upon him um, and there was another story that was mentioned in the background information um, in which a scorpion actually once bit the prophet and he asked for water and salt and then actually recited Surah Al-Kafirun along with Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. And the writer then continues by discussing the cause of the revelation of the Surah. Um, and the Surah came into revelation when four pagans of Mecca actually came to the Prophet, peace be upon him, and they proposed a compromise where they said that they would worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for a year, and then they asked that the Prophet, peace be upon him, worship their idols for a year. And um, this compromise also came with the pagan, pagans telling the prophet they would make him the wealthiest man of Mecca um, and they would elect him as their leader um, as long as he doesn't, you know, speak badly about their gods. And they even mentioned that they would give him anything he wanted, including marrying any of the women he wanted um, in Mecca. And... Um, the pagans came multiple times to the prophet, peace be upon him, and they eventually just came and told him, just touch some of our gods and, and we'll like believe in you. Um, and so this pretty much demonstrates that they presented like many um, like alluring compromises so that a deal may be made. Um, and then the Surah was eventually um, revealed to exclude all form of pagan worship for Muslims. And um, it serves the purpose to actually prohibit the compromise. So after um, verse one, which says, oh, disbelievers, verse two goes in to continue and say, I do not worship which you worship. And the surah has actually um, many repeated statements according to the writer, which have been explained in different ways. And Bukhari has actually mentioned that this occurs when many um, commentators interpret one is happening in the present and then the other section happening in the future. So according to Bukhari, verses two and three are referring to the present. So I do not worship at the present time what you are worshiping, nor do you worship at the present time what I am worshiping. 
Um, and what's understood here is like, I believe in the oneness of Allah and I worship him alone, whereas you believe in multiple gods and worship them. And then verses four and five are referring to the future. So what is understood here is like, neither is there a possibility in the future that I will ever worship what you're gonna worship, nor will you worship what I persist in worshiping. And um, verse six, um, which says, Bukhari interprets deen as um, for you is your faith and for me is my faith, which shows that there cannot be an acceptable compromise. However, there's actually other interpretations such as Bayan al-Quran, which interprets the word deen as jaza or retribution. Um, and then another interpretation um, that's presented in this, um, this surah is regarding the particle ma, which is first presented in ayah two. Um, and so one interpretation is that ma is used as a relative pronoun um, so in the sense of like alladhi, that which, and then a second use of ma is transforming the verb that is included in the statement. So the ma is seen as a relative pronoun in verses two and three, where it would translate as, I do not worship the deities you worship, nor do you worship the one whom I worship. And then in verses four and five, the ma is translated as, um, is used as transforming the infinitive verb. So it would translate as, I will never adopt to your mode or manner of worship, nor will you adopt to the manner of worship um, that I have. So verses two and three, according to this interpretation, show like the objects of worship um, that are different from each other. And then verses four and five show the differences in the modes of worship. So in this interpretation, there's actually no repetition in the surah which I thought was very interesting. This was a mind blow blowing moment for me. And then the writer continues to say that some also note that the final verse in this surah has parallels to other ayahs. And one ayah that was mentioned was in chapter eight, which is Surah Yunus, verse 41, uh, part of it reads, and if they belie you, say for me is my deeds and for you is your deeds. Um, and then Another um, interpretation that the writer briefly mentioned is that um, the repetition of the two sentences has been used as a sort of rhetorical device um, to secure emphasis, which is something um, that I commonly thought of or have heard like growing up. And then the writer ends by discussing how um, whether or not there could be peace treaties with other people who are outside of Islam. And the writer mentions that it is necessary to understand the circumstances and conditions of the treaty and to take a proper decision according to the treaty and the circumstances that you're in. Um, because the writer mentioned how in chapter eight, um, which is Surah Al-Anfad, um, in verse 61, it reads, and if they tilt towards peace, you tilt towards it. And so the general principle of the prophet, peace be upon him, is that every compromise like, is permitted except the ones that turn the prohibited things into lawful, and then the lawful things into forbidden. Um, so it's definitely like, um, according to this piece, like a case by case basis. And then the writer ends with the cliche, you know, statement that Islam is the religion that stands for tolerance, kindness, and politeness and peace more than any other religion um, that we know of. 
Okay, very nice. I like your comments at the end and how much you enjoyed those. Okay, very good. So yeah, I mean, if we just think it from a logical sense, you know, they're saying, all right, you worship our gods and then we'll worship your gods. Okay, that's not even, that's, there's no way that can be on the table, right? Uh, because that's literally the, the whole center of our being. Okay, we're going to be polytheists for a year. Okay, that's not an option, you know. And, and so, so uh, any idea when in the story of the Prophet, peace be upon him, the surah is coming out, where he's basically now saying, yeah, al-kafirun, and you know, you're not going to worship what I worship. And this is a mucky surah. What do you think? Yeah, I I know that the the writer mentions that um, it was like after that they eventually said, I guess they were really desperate to form a compromise that they even said, just like touch our gods mm-hmm. and like we'll believe like in you as like a leader. Um, and it's a mucky surah. So I it's gonna be before the hijra. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, so this is basically almost at the very end of the Prophet peace be upon him in Makkah. So he so, so right before the hijra, you would say. Yeah. So he's uh, he's been doing that well for thirteen years, and at this point, anyone <clears throat> who has not become Muslim, there isn't really anything else he can say or do, you know they have him right in front of them whom they've known their whole lives as as the most honest among them they have him speaking the quran in their own language and they recognize the quran couldn't have been by him or by a human being right and and he's calling them to things like justice and honesty and he's not even promoting himself what is he getting out of any of this he's he's getting outcasted by his own cousins so he has nothing to gain here, you know, in terms of a dunya perspective. And, and so every way you measure it, it's, uh, the message has about as much integrity as anything could, could possibly have. And so at this point, it's, all right, there's nothing else I can say. And, and, and they've been increasing their hostilities. You know, they were, they were, they were, name calling character assassination spreading slander they're persecuting his followers and they're torturing his followers and then there, he has experience in taif this may be right before taif because uh, it seems as though he's speaking primarily to the leaders of makkah because keep in mind there are other people in makkah that eventually do become muslim and so to whom is he primarily speaking most likely the leaders of the Quraysh. I mean, pretty much all of them are, are killed in battle against the Muslims, except for Abu Sufyan. Abu Sufyan eventually becomes a Muslim. <clears throat> so it says, you know, I will not worship what you worship, nor will you worship what I worship, um, uh, because we know that most of Mecca became Muslim later on. Then it's probably fair to assume that that the Prophet, peace be upon him, is addressing, or the Quran is addressing the leaders of the Quraysh. And and so like, like Abu Jahal, Utbah, Umayyah, and and such. And and yeah, and so this may be the first time where he is addressing them as kafirun. So the term kafir is 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 there, <clears throat> but up to that point, you know, he was probably using language like ya qawmi, oh my people. And so it becomes, you know, ya uh, kafirun, 
to uh, when you've basically given up on your people. And so that's probably more of the the background context of what's taking place, you know, that's leading to the the revelation of the surah. You know, in contrast, surah al-ikhlas is probably coming much earlier because it's basically addressing, you know, who is Allah. Now you, you said you had some questions. Yes. Um, so my first one was in reference going back to just like the background information that was presented here. Um, so the prophet was telling one of his companions to read the final five surahs of the Quran um, and to start and end every surah with Bismillah. Um, do we know why he said um, like end the surah with Bismillah? So does that mean that the he asked the companion to say Bismillah twice between reading each surah? That uh, uh, it's probably not reading it twice between each surah. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but the end of Bismillah, uh, it could mean all right, once you've ended the surah and you're bringing the next one, begin with Bismillah. But beyond that, it's beyond my, it's beyond my knowledge. I'm not familiar with this. Um, and then when... Um, um, when there was one interpretation that um, mentioned that like verses like... Um, two and three are in reference to like the belief in the present and then four and five are in reference to the future. Mm-hmm. So is this in reference to like the compromise, meaning like these two ayahs like officially eliminate the possibility of compromise? Because mm-hmm. what I was thinking of was that it could actually reference like the future of like the Muslim ummah, meaning that like for future Muslim generations, there may be like another group or like another temptation that's presented to Muslims to mm-hmm. compromise. And like, this is telling them that this is not to be. Yeah, that works. Okay. You know, uh, I mean, primarily it's the issue of what, who, whom do you worship? And so they're worshiping a bunch of statues. Mm-hmm. And, and so after the conquest of Makkah, the prophet peace be upon him says shaitan has given either at the conquest of Makkah or in the the sermon at, at hajj the prophet peace be upon him says that the uh that shaitan has given up hope that you're going to worship him here you know? mm-hmm. and by extension that would mean uh, perhaps idol worship so mm-hmm. Makkah is eternally protected from that point forward yeah, may but apply then, for the whole Arabian Peninsula, but at least for Mecca. Yeah, like protected, protected from idolatry. Yeah. yeah, I mean that reminds me though. I've like heard multiple times that like, you know, one of like the main concerns of the Prophet for the peace be upon him for the future of this Ummah is not necessarily like going back to idolatry, but it's like um, going to other forms of like worship, like when it comes to greed and and money. Yeah. Um, and so, like, are you saying that, like, now it's just taken another form, in essence? I wouldn't call it worship as much as reliance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the companions are asking, are you, what fears do you have for us in the future? Do you fear that we're going to be poor? No, I fear they're going to be rich. Mm-hmm. And then if you're rich, then it's going to start softening you up. And when we compare us, suburban Muslims, to suburban American Muslims, to let's say, you know, someone who is in the Bilad, 
or someone who's like in in the mountains of Afghanistan or, you know, or just in a life that has far more struggles than we do. I mean, obviously we have struggles in our lives, right? Uh, and especially the family struggles are pretty severe, but uh, if you're living in suburban America, uh, you probably have, you know, access inside your house to a bathroom. Yeah. And, and yeah. so, so that softens all of us up quite a bit, you know, makes us much more sedentary. Yeah. So those are some of the risks of, of wealth. Of course, as you have more and more gratitude, it can cure some of that, but it's easy to forget gratitude. Right. Yeah. And I think a common like saying that that's very, I, I think prevalent, like, especially in like my friend group is like first world problems. Yeah, exactly. Like, oh my gosh, my car is taking forever to start first world problems, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, I'll, um, I think that's why it's, at least for me, I, I think it's important to keep myself grounded by keeping in touch with people in the, in the Bilad. Mm-hmm. Uh, like my, my uncle who's, whose son passed away, um, like suddenly in Palestine uh, yeah. a few years ago, his his youngest son right now is like going through like what what I assume would be diagnosed as PTSD. Like he'll wake up in the middle of the night yelling, just like screaming. Oh, so and like they'll just walk into his room and he's he's sleeping, but he's yelling. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I just reflect on like my life and my struggles versus what they have to experience. And, mm-hmm. and it, it keeps a person in check, but... Um, that's why I think um, the gratitude journal is is um, is an important part of, of our work, inshallah. Yeah. yeah. And cool. my following question that I had yes. was, so there were like um, two different translations of the word deen. Um, so one of them, like Bukhari mentioned, is the one that translates as, as, as faith, which is how mm-hmm. I understood it as. But Dean as as Jezar retribution, I, I've never mm-hmm. seen that. I, I just wanted to delve more into it because I was wondering, does this interpretation of, of like Jezza or retribution, I think of like punishment, right? And like yeah. hellfire. So does this interpretation of the word Dean tell the people who are, aren't following Islam that they're gonna go to like hellfire? Is that? Okay, so those, those are two questions. So in terms of the meaning of the word Dean, think of Yomuddin, right? Maliki Yomuddin. And so, uh, so if we were to go just in terms of pure linguistics, then Dean means something like transaction. And so the transaction can be retribution. It could also be reward. And so, so, so that's one aspect. And so that we trace Dean to uh, religion but that's more uh, what is religion even religion is is like the system of connection religious so that's more than three knowledge can i have but um but so the point is that um uh, this is um uh, these are the linguistic variations of the word dean and so so yeah in different contexts it'll it'll mean different things so the whole system of interaction but yeah, outside of this stuff, so, you know, I was not familiar with, with that usage of, of um, the word Dean. All right. Jazakallah. 
Um, and then the final question that I had was, um, when the Prophet peace be upon him was bit by a scorpion, he he recited Surah Al Kafirun. Yeah. And it, was it like he also wanted some salt water or something? <laughs> yeah, salt and water. Um, and then I was just curious as to why he chose those like those three and like why he didn't just read the last five. And yeah. do we know where? So, so think of these as different. Um, prescriptions. Mm. So sometimes Tylenol is the best medication and sometimes ibuprofen is the best medication, right? So if you're bit by a scorpion, these three are the... I mean, I'm cautious. I don't know if I have enough Iman. Um, and so I'll probably best avoid scorpions. But uh, if you have salt water and and you remember the surahs, then yeah, do it, inshallah, and hopefully inshallah, inshallah, inshallah. It'll be a cure. Inshallah. Um, there's also uh, when they were on the Hijra, Abu Bakr and the Prophet, peace be upon him. The story is that Abu Bakr first tore off pieces of his clothing to fill in all the holes in the cave where scorpions would be coming from. And there's once he ran out of you know pieces of cloth, um, and, and so he would just keep his foot blocking that. And the whole night, a scorpion kept coming in and stinging him, right? And he's resisting. He also doesn't even want to move because he wants to let the prophet be still sleep, right? And and it's just stinging and stinging. And then it's reaching a point where like a tear is coming out of Abu Bakr's eye, right? And then it falls on the prophet be it wakes him up. And he's like, what's going on? I mean, obviously he's not there. He's asking, you know, what's what's happening? And and then um, uh, and so you know, like Abu Bakr's leg apparently softly swollen, and the Prophet peace on takes some saliva and puts it on it, which may have been the equivalent of salt water. And then he might have recited these surahs, and then like he was cured right away. But there is something to be said about like we all understand. The Quran and I is a spiritual medicine, but there's also some crossover from the spiritual into the physical, yeah. And that's uh, a whole field that I think is getting lost in time. Like, uh, I, don't if, I don't remember if I ever shared the story about uh, this. Um, my uncle had a stroke, and, and he himself is a physician. Uh, two of his kids, at least, are physicians. And, and so um, they, they, I mean, he was basically debilitated from the stroke. And so they didn't know what else to do. And so their sister says, well, okay, there's a sheikh. We can get uh, instruction from him. And so he tells her, okay, write, uh, you know, write such such sura, put in the water, tell me what happens. And, and then recite such and such sura X number of times. So he's given a whole specific recipe. And when he does, and so when one of the student, one of the kids uh, do the whole recipe, then my uncle, like his body immediately like went through some quake. Yeah. There's no physical connection here, right? He's literally sort of like doing some stuff with his hands. Then, uh, and so then he said, okay, tell me what happens to go back and go back to him. And then he gives some other recipe and literally, you know, my uncle starts recovering. Yeah. Uh -huh. 
and and so he's able to walk and talk. He has a huge limp when he's walking, and he has a huge impediment when he's speaking. But that's literally what he reached in a very short period of time from from being completely debilitated. So so the, so it's a real thing. I mean, get like the whole all the recipes were do this and that with eyes of the Quran. There's a thing, but you know, where, uh, where is that in books and such? Don't know. So I have another cousin who goes to that sheikh uh, saying, okay, I want to learn from you. I want to learn all this. The sheikh goes, yeah, spend 17 years with me. And, and then my cousin's like, yeah, I'm going to go study IT. <laughs> you know, that, that, this, this story is from like 20, 20 plus years, 25 years ago. I don't even know if that Sheikh is even still alive anymore. Yeah, subhanAllah. I know you mentioned like, you know, these practices aren't as common. And I, I assume it's because of just with advances in technology and our and our reliance of on different things nowadays in society. Are there people still that do that here in the in the US? I, I would assume in like the the so there's there's definitely people who do what we'd call non-traditional uh, and so they'll do like Yunani medicine. You know what Yunani medicine is? Mm-hmm. Greek medicine. You know, so we're talking from the age of Gaelic. Oh, Yunani, yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Yeah, my, my, Sorry. My Ajami no. mm-hmm. accent probably didn't help. But then, uh, uh, and then there's, uh, there are sheikhs that do other types of holistic medicine. I haven't come across anyone where the whole thing seems to be complete for on-base. But they're probably there. They're probably, you know, walking around here somewhere. Oh, that's really cool. Cool. Any other questions? I think that's it on my end. Alrighty. So then we'll stop right here and then we'll continue, inshallah, next week. Inshallah. Right. And subhanahu wa bihamdika